killer whose own actions have him trapped in a clear box that inspired the one scene in Silence of the Lambs. This is the strange case of the solitary serial killer, Robert Maudsley. Trigger warning. This episode will be discussing themes of physical abuse, our word, sex work, addiction, violence, torture, intentional unaliving of oneself and cannibalism. Hello everyone and welcome back to another episode of The Shit Detectives. We are back and we are kicking off with a comment request from our Instagram page. Please remember that if you do want to request us to cover any cases at all, you can always comment on our Instagram or our Facebook post there where we are most active or comment on YouTube as well. We'll see what we can cover. On to the case. Background of Robert Maudsley. Robert Maudsley was born in England in June 1953. He was the fourth born out of the 12 kids that his parents had. He spent the early years of his life in a Catholic orphanage with his three older siblings until the age of eight. When they all returned to the care of their parents, Robert was then subjected to routine physical abuse from his father until social services finally removed him, but only him, from their claim. It's unclear when he made these claims, but later Robert claimed that his father R-worded him and that it left deep psychological scars. When he was removed from the home for the third and final time, where he was placed in a series of foster homes, his father told his siblings that Robert had died. His brother, Paul, described the abuse that Robert himself and one of the other brothers received. Paul claims his father hit him and that the beatings would occasionally include belts or a stick. Paul is convinced that their mother used to tell their father about the minor infractions they did so that he would have an excuse to issue a beating. Paul also described how home life was an environment where they were beaten or ignored, making them feel unloved and not wanted. When he was a teen, Morsley moved to London and became a sex worker to help him pay for his addiction to drugs. During this time, he attempted to commit an intentional enliving on several occasions until he was forced to seek therapy. One of the times that he spoke to doctors, he reported that he was hearing voices that told him to kill his parents. After his arrest and conviction, he is quoted as having told doctors, saying that if I had killed my parents in 1970, none of these people would have died. Throughout his life, he gained various nicknames, such as Hannibal the Cannibal, the Brain Eater, and Spoons. He has broken the world record for the longest period of consecutive days in solitary confinement, having spent 16,500 days in near total isolation. So usually at this point in our episode, we would cover the backgrounds of the victims involved. However, there's not a lot of information we could find about Maudsley's victims, whether this was to protect their families or they've just been lost over the many decades. So instead, we're going to use this time to inform you of ways that you could seek help if you or someone you know is being abused. Unfortunately, we cannot cover every country. So if we do miss out your country and you know of the supports or charities in place, please do feel free to comment them below because it could help someone. You never know whose life you may save. 
So internationally, there is a charity called the Global Network of Women's Shelters. It exists to help women and children seek shelter and strive to end violence against women and children. Alliance for Hope International is another charity which is reportedly one of the most leading systems. Based in the USA, it aims to help countries work collaboratively with organizations to help them provide trauma-informed approaches to survivors. Furthermore, the Hot Peach Pages has an international directory of abuse information in approximately 110 languages. Um, in the UK, uh, there is Women's Aid, which is a federation working to provide life-saving services and build a future that is intolerant of domestic abuse with sister federations that go across the UK. Also in the UK, services within NHS, schools and domestics and some council roles are things known as mandated reporters. I suppose people probably better than things, but oh well, I've said it now. Which means that if they are concerned or someone raises concerns with them, they are obligated to report it or there could be consequences for themselves. There is also the National Domestic Abuse Helpline available in the UK as well if you're seeking advice or aid if you are a victim of domestic abuse in the UK. And they can point you in the direction of solicitors, they can point you in the direction for a lot of different help and support that is to offer in the UK and in your area. Uh, in the USA, some states also have the mandated reporting, such as Colorado. Um, and there are also hotlines such as hotline.org, which offer support for domestic abuse. Um, there may be more, but um, I didn't really know what I was looking for, so I couldn't really find very much. Yeah, I think there's like it may vary from state to state because I know a lot of things do vary from state to state so that could be a variable something else that is different yeah but then non neither of us are from the USA so if someone wouldn't mind letting us know in the comments for future episodes it would be appreciated in Europe women against violence Europe is the only European network with the sole focus on eliminating violence against women and children. Further to this, majoritively speaking, EU member states have professionals who are mandated reporters so that there is always an option. And it's not exclusively those in the medical profession. In Australia, 1800 Respect is a confidential service that is available 24 hours a day. They help people experiencing abuse and violence. Also important to note that 1800 Respect is uh, gender inclusive. Their language wasn't pronoun specific. It was all a person, a person, a person, people. So there was no gender specificity on whether it was just women and children or men, which makes me suggest it's just feel like it's gender inclusive. Um, That's good then. But, also, as Australia runs quite a similar system to us, I imagine they also have mandated reporters, but I couldn't find anything that would confirm or deny that. No, honestly, I think 
there should be mandated reporters in every country, especially in the medical profession or police, you know, firefighters. I think they should all be mandated reporters because they also come into contact with people on a regular basis, on a daily basis. They come into contact with so many people and they're very likely to maybe spot signs of abuse. I do know in the UK, in healthcare settings, they do try to train us in safeguarding so that we have a better understanding as to what to look for as well if you suspect someone is being abused. And I think that should be international. Definitely. The killing that brought Robert Maudsley to Broadmoor. In 1974, 30-year-old John Farrell would be his first victim when he met Maudsley in Wood Green, London. When he solicited him for sex and returned to Farrell's London flat. Maudsley alleges that while the interaction took place, John Farrell showed him pictures of the kids that he had sexual contact with and had sexually abused. Maudsley said that after he saw this, he just saw red and he knew he was going to kill John. In the end, Maudsley garroted John Farrell. The murder was so violent that John Farrell was nicknamed Blue because of the colour of his face. For those who don't know, garroting is a method of killing that is particularly violent. It uses a thin item such as a fishing wire and it is held against the person's neck and then aggressively pulled backwards with force. It essentially strangles them and in some extreme cases can slit their throats. There have been examples of it in the media where they've attached a device to a wire and it decapitated victims. Back on topic, following Pharrell's murder, Morsley went to the police and surrendered himself, citing that he believed he needed psychiatric care. Whilst an investigation took place, Morsley was found unfit for trial and instead was placed into Broadmoor Hospital. Torture at Broadmoor. In 1977, Maudsley conspired with another patient, David Cheeseman, who at the time was serving time for rape and sexual assault of a 16-year-old girl, to launch an attack on David Francis, who was a convicted child molester. They claimed that this attack was to get back at David Francis for a homosexual attack on one of their friends. They lured David into a cell and locked themselves in. After trapping their victim, in a barricaded room, they then proceeded to torture him to death for nine hours, when he was also garroted. It's here that he had gained the nickname Spoons after the media reported an account from a guard that Maudsley had scooped out some of David Francis's brain with a spoon which had the handle sharpened to use as a makeshift weapon and ate them although no evidence of this has been found and it has been claimed that it was a false report Maudsley did encourage the nicknames but refused the claim the aftermath of the torture Maudsley was convicted of manslaughter and given a life sentence with the recommendation that he never be released following this Robert Maudsley was then transferred to Wakefield prison a fact that greatly displeased Maudsley it is said that he made it very well known as well, that he wanted to be back at Broadmoor. 
Inmates within Wakefield were very aware of the crimes that had brought him to Wakefield and nicknamed him Spoons, referring to the utensil that he had left jutting out of David Francis. Eventually, he settled into Wakefield and was even learning French with Salony Darwood, who would eventually become his third victim. In 1978, Maudsley decided to kill once again. Originally, he had aimed to go on a killing spree, creating a list of seven targets. And he knew exactly who to start with, Thelony Darwood, who was serving time for sexual assault and the murder of his wife. Maudsley easily lured him into a room where Maudsley once again performed a garret and stabbed him before stuffing the body under his bed in order to hide it, before attempting to lure other people into his room, but all refused. With his modus operandi not working for him, Robert Maudsley elected to go on the prowl for his final victim, and when he found them, it was William Roberts who was on the receiving end. He was in prison for sexually assaulting a seven-year-old girl. Maudsley cornered him as he lay in bed. Maudsley then hacked into his skull with a makeshift dagger and repeatedly smashed William's head into a wall. Once Roberts was dead, Maudsley scooped up the murder weapon and went to the wing office and calmly informed the officer that Roll call will be too short, as he placed the makeup dagger on the desk. After this heinous act, Mosley was temporarily transferred out of Wakefield and into a different prison, while they were building him a specialist cell. There, he is said to have engaged in therapies, and despite his repeated inmate killings, Mosley maintains that he is not a threat to others, and that since all of his victims were sex offenders, it is only them that he is a threat to. He also described the victims as being visualised to be his parents. The prison staff who worked with Maudsley said that he was making significant progress and that with continued work, they predicted he would be able to thwart the aggression that was within him. But unfortunately, this was not something that Maudsley would have the opportunity to explore, as in 1983, Mosley was transferred back to Wakefield, where the box was waiting for him. In 1974, for some strange reason, they deemed him too dangerous to be allowed a normal cell and that he needed to be kept in indefinite solitary confinement. That strange reason was very, very obviously the inmate killing. This meant that Wakefield Prison was about to undergo a major revamp. In the basement of the prison, a two-cell unit was built, and when he and when Robert Mosley was out of that, it means that he must be accompanied by at least four prison officers. The cell is known as the box, and it was completed in 1983, upon which time Robert Mosley was put there. To this day, that is where he has remained, in isolation, for 40 years. Wales Online report that his bed is a concrete slab and he has a table and chair made of compressed cardboard. The toilet and sink are bolted to the floor. There is also a steel door which opens into a small cafe within the confines of the cell and it has a small slot where he has passed food and drink. Maudsley has previously described the box as a feeling like he had been buried alive. To some extent he was right, as he is likely to be there until he dies, 
especially as his own nephew is convinced that he would kill again if he were to be given the opportunity. Though, to be fair, I'm going to put this in here. Like, he was making progress with the therapies and the support he was getting before he was placed in the box. So maybe they should have just continued the therapies and allowed him to rehabilitate that way and confront his demons and his trauma. Maybe that would have helped. I think the problem isn't necessarily with Maudsley's problems with violence. It's his problem with sex offenders. And exactly. He has an issue with sex offenders because sex offenders damage lives. And Wakefield is calling them. In all honesty, I'm going to put this out there now. Any normal person feels the need to protect children and quite and protect women because women are more vulnerable. I mean, we don't like to admit it, but women are physically weaker than men. Men can overpower women. We don't, and children are innocent people. They're innocent victims and again, can easily be overpowered. And you can do a lot of harm to a child, both psychologically and physically. So a normal person feels a lot of protection towards a child and towards women, especially the more vulnerable in society. And that is perfectly normal. And I think in regards to Robert Maudsley, as we are covering this case, he has that instinct that we feel to protect the most vulnerable in our communities. But it's like pumped is on steroids. It's that instinct on steroids. And that's what's causing him, what has led him to attack sex offenders because he is feeling that need to protect the most vulnerable in society, but that instinct is on steroids. What do you think, Del? I think if I answer that question, I'm not going to have anything to talk about later. <laughs> okay, okay, I'll leave it to later. <laughs> Back to the case. <laughs> At one point during his sentence, Mosley received a gift from an infamous inmate, Charles Bronson. Mosley rejected the gift, as at this point he was in solitary and had no need for it. Bronson was said to be furious and called him an ungrateful bastard. And it is caused speculation that the two men absolutely hate each other. Although he has had little to no contact with the outside world. Although he has had little to no contact with the world outside the box, it is permitted for people to write to Maudsley. In fact, he does have numerous pen pals. I'd, I'd love to be one of his pen pals, but then I'd also really worry about like some kind of hero worship, parasocial relationship type thing. Yeah. To be fair, that is one of the things I've read about a lot with people that become pen pals with serial killers. It's like, well, there's a lot of fan going yeah. from what I've seen online. The effects of solitary confinement. The decision to place Maudsley in a permanent solitary confinement 
has been a very controversial one, especially as we have come to understand the effects of it better. Once again, for those who don't know, here is a brief explanation. Take it away, Echo. Solitary confinement is the physical isolation of a person. In this instance, Robert Maudsley. In order to keep interaction with others to an absolute minimum. Typically, the individuals are kept in their cells for 22.5 hours a day, sometimes more. In recent years, it has been linked to adverse mental effects such as depression. Picture how you felt in lockdown of 2020. One of the longest cases of isolation is a person called Albert Woodfox, who had spent 40 years alone before re-entering society in 2016. Uh, just going to slide in a footnote there. The longest case is now actually Robert Maudsley. Uh, Woodfox was just shy of 40 years and this year Robert Maudsley has done exactly 40. If I remember rightly as well with the lockdown statistics of mental health issues, um, following the COVID lockdown, we actually had like one in three people suffering with mental health problems. Whilst before that, it was like one in five. So it increased things like depression, anxiety and stuff like that tenfold, really, amongst the general population. Okay, I wouldn't say tenfold because it that's a little bit of an over-exaggeration. It, was, it went from one in five to one in three, but you, you get the drift. Yeah. The truth is right in front of them. If only they would fit on their glasses to see. Yeah. Now, back to Robert Maudsley. The reason that this decision is controversial is because the decision was made in the interest of inmate safety. And this was back at a time where resources weren't what they are now. And even then, we all say that prisons, resources and support systems aren't the best. However, there is also an argument to be made about his quality of life and the mental distress that he is under. Having spent such a long time with little to no interaction, in the equivalent of Joe's Box from You, the new series on Netflix. There has been numerous studies that show that solitary confinement has an adverse effect on people's mental health. A large body of research has found that even as little as one day can cause people to display symptoms of psychological distress. It is believed that the distress is because typically humans require social interaction to maintain some kind of regular function. If you consider the fact that the human body is ran by hormones and that we get a release of hormones from things like hugs, it's not really that surprising. We are going to go into more detail about hormones in the context of social interactions so that you have an additional understanding of why people who are so against this have formed their opinions. Take it away, Echo. In an article published in Medical News Today by Jane Leonard, it states that people in solitary are more likely to suffer with stress, anxiety, panic attacks, depression, feelings of hopelessness, anger, irritability, increased hostility, worsening of pre-existing mental health issues, hypersensitivity, particularly to sounds and smells, 
problems with memory, maintaining concentration and attention, hallucinations that can also affect all of the senses, paranoia and create poor impulse control, violent outbursts, psychosis and thoughts of self-harm or intentional unaliving. Robert Morsley was clearly struggling with this, as in the year 2000, he pleaded for the terms of his confinement to be relaxed. When that was denied, he applied to be allowed to take his own life with a cyanide pill, which was also denied. At which point, he requested a pet bird, where he promised he'd love it, not eat it. This was also denied. Some studies have also found that the longer someone spends in solitary confinement, the harder it is to reintegrate them into society, oftentimes with individuals becoming entirely incapable of it. And in all honesty, I'm going to put this out there. I don't think they ever intend to reintegrate Robert Maudsley. I'm pretty sure that is not their intention. No, it's not. It, it's not their intention. Um, later on, I go into more depth for it, but um, he says, I want to rid the world of the problem that is Robert John Maudsley. They've just buried me alive here. Awful. The fact that this is being allowed to happen in a first world country as well, it's actually quite despicable when you think about it. I'm sketchy on actual political goings on when that was occurring, but I believe we were in prime Thatcher era. Again, I'm not... I'm going to avoid that topic. (laughs) (laughs) I can't say I blame you. There is also an element of psychological trauma, which studies have found makes suicide there's that word again. There is also an element of psychological trauma which studies have found make intentional unaliving more likely by around 29%, as well as the physical health considerations, with the lack of space making it difficult to prevent or manage conditions like diabetes or heart disease. Furthermore, the lack of sunlight is likely to cause a vitamin D deficiency which can make fractures more likely in older adults. And now Robert Maudsley is in his 70s. It also, with vitamin D, I'm going to add this here, vitamin D deficiency is directly linked as well to depression. So if you have a vitamin D deficiency, you are more likely to experience symptoms of depression and be depressed. Thank God I don't live somewhere like the UK. According to the Daily Mail, Morsley has found that if he were to get out of the box, he would kill again. However, this could just be them twisting his earlier statement. Wales Online has reported that he is even cut off from prison officers when in his cell. An inmate who was a former cell neighbour to Morsley is reported to have said, The system's treatment of Bob, meaning Robert, is totally dehumanising. Yes, what he did was unforgivable and obviously wrong. This amounts to psychological torture. There has to be a better way of dealing with characters like Bob. Robert's nephew is similarly confused as to why he was even put into the sex offender wing when his victim history was right there. Morsley wrote in a letter to his nephew, 
I am left to stagnate, vegetate and regress. Left to confront my solitude head on alongside people who have eyes but do not see, who have ears but do not listen and who have mouths but do not speak. My life in solitary is one constant and broken depression. Robert Maudsley and the media. It is thought that the box that Robert has been in for a record-breaking 40 years is the inspiration for the case that Hannibal is shown in with Silence of the Lambs. His cell also bears a striking resemblance to the basement box that is the current feature within the Netflix series, You. Robert Morsley was also mentioned in a Channel 5 documentary, HMP Wakefield, Evil Behind Bars. Many of you will have heard about injuries that Ian Watkins, the former frontman for the band Lost Profits. Ian was convicted in 2008 of sexual abuse of children. The perpetrators held him hostage for six hours before the room was able to be broken into and Watkins was taken to hospital with stab wounds. Since then, social media has been buzzing about the similarities with this incident and Maudsley's second victim at the prison where he is held, wondering if he had some part to play in the gruesome attack. So, our thoughts and opinions. <sighs> For my opinion, we have to assume that Robert's accusations about his dad R-wording him are true, which, given that he was the only one removed from his parents and his choice of victims, I don't think that's a hard assumption to make. But anyway, assuming that Robert Morsley was telling the truth about being sexually abused by his parents, then I wonder if he had post-traumatic stress disorder, more commonly known as PTSD. And I wonder if it was missed because knowledge about PTSD was still in its infancy in the 70s. And when he was first convicted, even in later years, the prison system has never been that great. It would have been difficult to diagnose him then, and it would be even harder to do it now, as it would be nearly impossible to get an accurate read on any psychological trauma that he felt before the box because of the trauma of said box. Also, he wouldn't be able to give an accurate read on any avoidant behaviours that he may have had because he was in prison in a sex offender wing. You can't avoid your trigger. That being said, it could be said he became angry and hostile towards his victims with little or no provocation. So I do wonder if it was PTSD that presented with hostility and aggression as the trauma response and and that had this been a thing that occurred in present day versus the era that it did, it would have maybe been recognised and addressed. There have been some historical cases of PTSD having a psychosis manifestation as well. And this is where I'm going to bring back the whole protective instinct of the most vulnerable in society on steroids. Like that instinct on steroids is quite like is quite possible that because he has PTSD and because of what he's been he alleges he went through, that it's literally caused him to experience that instinct to protect the most vulnerable in society that we all feel to some degree. And it's just I... freaking amped it all. 
massively. I wonder if he maybe still feels vulnerable around them. So he has that instinct to protect them. But then he also sees himself as vulnerable, having previously been an assumed victim. Quite possibly, he could feel that he is still vulnerable. It could be a case of that he knows that they're eventually going to come out. He knows that they're likely to offend again. They could do it again. He doesn't want to risk that chance. So he's just going to make sure that they can't possibly ever offend again. So carrying on with our thoughts and opinions, I understand that there is a duty on behalf of the prison to ensure inmate safety. But I disagree with the decision to put Morsley in a box. I'm. I think that compromises Morsley's safety. And oh, it does massively. Um, it's psychological very... torment. Yes, Sorry. definitely. It's okay. <laughs> I'm very curious about the prison population scenario at the time of the decision to put him in the box, purely because I feel that it's almost like the system shoved him in a random available slot, like he's the wrong item at a supermarket on a shelf, out of sight, out of mind. Surely he could have gone to another wing. Surely they could have applied for the temporary prison transfer to become permanent, given that he was doing so well. They could have put him in on psychi- They could have put him on a psychiatric unit and maybe made it a bit more isolated from other offenders and worked on therapies with him to help him overcome his traumas and stuff and then slowly integrate him with other offenders that are on the same psychiatric wing. They have him surrounded by four guards when he goes out anyway. Why not just have an increased guard on the wing where he was? Yeah, there's so many alternative solutions that would be less psychologically damaging and could have actually helped him. And that strikes me as more cost-effective. Heck, they could have given him medications. <laughs> well, that's my point. That, that's my point. Surely there were alternative options to consider before jumping to what I believe is an ultimate sanction. We don't have the death penalty here. What we do have is a box in a basement. I'm actually wondering, sorry, I'm actually wondering, is this some sort of psychological experiment? I mean, it's massively inhumane. It breaks most ethical, like every aspect of ethics. But is it some sort of psychological experiment to see how long someone can actually maintain their sanity during solitary confinement? I think if they were going to do that, they wouldn't even let him have pen pals. True. It just seems so excessively unnecessary. I wonder how many um, of his pen pals have sent him pictures. Would he even be allowed to see the pictures? Do they go through his mail before they let him have it? I assume they go through his mail, but I think that he'd be allowed Sorry, I'll let you continue now. Also, I wanted to take a moment to address the claims about that have been made on social media by some that Robert Morsley was somehow involved in what happened to Ian Watkins. And 
I don't think that this is a common opinion that people have, but I think it is an opinion that people have. And I have questions for those people. I don't know if maybe they're new to prison culture and how it works and stuff like that. I mean, I, I don't know how it works fantastically. My, I, have, I have questions to their theory and the primary, the, the primary one is how would he or how could he be involved? He is in isolation in a box in a basement. Even if that is in a box in a basement where all the others are also kept in just regular cells for a little bit, what's he gonna do? Just casually shout about it to the empty cell and advise the prison guards about what's going on? Or is he, you know, I, I, I don't see how he could be advising them. Um, yeah, it doesn't make it, sense. And even, even if he could advise them, even if he did find a way to do that, his information's outdated by 40 years. His, no, his knowledge of the prison goings on and who is where and what is that and like bright guards that are bribable and stuff like that. It's 40 years old. Half the guards that he knows probably have retired. Quite likely, yeah. Look, it just doesn't make... If he a guard, he'd be able to get out of the bloody box. Yeah, it, it doesn't really make sense. And then even if they like managed to somehow get notes to him, I don't understand how he would get the notes back to them. I think what's actually happened is it is a striking similar similarity because what Maudsley did was so impactful to prison culture, it had got to Wakefield before even he himself had got to Wakefield. It is going to be a legend, like an urban myth. And I just, I, I think that people have got involved in that and drew from his legend when making the plans, informed information when making the plans. When I was reading about Ian Watkins, they said that the, um, the, where the, plan, the plan for the attack was very obviously thought out and carefully orchestrated. They're not going to be relying on somebody who hasn't seen the layout of the rest of the prison accurately and with any degree of recall for 40 years. Yeah, it's... I think it's more likely that maybe one of the perpetrators was a fan of Robert Maudsley and knew a bit about how he'd done it previously, so just reenacted it. It's more likely that his accomplice had some kind of involvement rather than Robert Maudsley. I think maybe the idea that Robert was somehow feeding somebody information has been put in to throw people off the scent of the actual perpetrators. Yeah. I'm going to put this out there. The authorities are breaking our own laws. 
they are treating him inhumanely by keeping him in solitary confinement for as long as they have done. 40 years is blooming excessive. It's ridiculous. As it was stated earlier, they have pretty much buried him alive and just left him there and just keep feeding him. It is... 40 years and nobody's come up with an alternative solution. <laughs> exactly. It is psychological torture and though they, though he may have murdered people, he murdered sex offenders, it would be more humane to have executed him and, you know, gone with... Oh, what is it called? Capital punishment. It would have been more humane to go with capital punishment and execute him than what they've put in place and put him through. By this point, it would be an absolute miracle if he could be reintegrated because of the amount of damage that would have been done to his psyche. I do believe that over time, he may be able to... Well, I believe that over time, he should start receiving some form of socialisation, though to the extent of what the damage has been done we won't know and I do feel for the guy I do I feel it's cruel and evil having locked him in a basement in a cell for 40 years with absolutely no socialisation yeah I don't I feel I feel it's horrific as well, and it just made, it, reading up on it and all of that, it, it just made my heart bleed for him. And the fact that they denied him having a pet, a pet. I, mean, it, it, I, I get the pet point, I, I, get, I get their reasons for rejecting him, it, re rejecting him there. He wanted it for the social aspect. They were saying if the bird gets out, it's problematic, he, he's in prison, he shouldn't be having pets. You don't have pets in prison. But you also don't end up in isolation for 40 years in prison, usually. Exceptional circumstances, exceptional um, adaptations need to be put in place. You can't perpetrate one and not put something else in place when they're asking for something else. I'm sorry. You've put him in an exceptional circumstance that you wouldn't put any other prisoner through. It is a form of psychological torture and you are just hounding down on that psychological torture by just repeatedly denying they won't even allow him to take his own life. A lot of people are doing like little around the mill report uh, petitions. Um, the change.org one is the one that came in at the top when I saw it, but uh, honestly, that, that one's a bit aggressive in my point, in my opinion. Um, so I wouldn't necessarily recommend people go to that one. Um, but 
I will keep an eye out and let people know. Can't he have a virtual pet? No, he's not even allowed a TV. Oh, flipping heck. He hasn't got What's a TV. What's he do he all day? Stare at a wall and see things. Again, we're going back to the psychological torment. Yeah. Books. He's allowed to read books and write letters. Give him a flipping virtual pet. Teach him how to use a virtual pet. There you go. It's better than nothing. Give him a TV on the other side of the wall so we can actually know the goings on in the bloody world. I'm going to go back to my, uh, my previous statement of this is an evil and cruel punishment. It is. It is beyond unnecessary. When it comes to it comes to something when the death penalty would have been kinder. Yeah. I mean, in all honesty, if I didn't know any better, I'd have thought that it was some sort of psychological experiment in Nazi Germany. That's the sort of level it's at. It, it's very, it's very bad. It's no. If somebody tried to get that path in psychology now it would never get past an ethics board. The fact that he's still there is disgusting. The fact that the ethics has changed so much since that occurred and he's still there. Nobody's bothered to try and find anything else, any other solution, any kind of rehabilitation or anything like that. They've just left him to rot and death is evil so isn't good for what he did but what the prison system has done to him is far far worse I would be inclined to agree so as always we do appreciate your thoughts and opinions as well so please do comment what you think to this case and the ongoing isolation of Robert Maudsley. If you liked this episode and you're watching us on YouTube, please give us a like, comment, and subscribe. If you're listening to this episode on Spotify, please give us a rating and follow us for more. We do appreciate all the support we get from you all. So from that, please take care of yourselves and we'll see you in the next episode. Bye. Bye.